0: Good morning. Welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us today. We are continuing this deep dive we've been in on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this bigger series in the Gospel of Matthew and now we're zooming in on this first significant teaching that gives us in the book of Matthew, his Sermon on the Mount. And this is really Jesus' magnum opus. This is his his economy of God here on earth. And we're in this section where Jesus is giving us six examples of ways the scribes and Pharisees have totally missed the point of the law of God. These guys were really great at, at focusing on the external letter of the law, but they always missed the heart of the law. They missed the point of what Jesus was teaching. And so Jesus is giving us these examples of ways these religious elite guys were, were really missing it. And a couple of weeks ago, we gave the first one. The Pharisees said, if we just don't kill people, if, we, if, if I literally don't murder someone, then I have fully met the obligations of the law when it comes to the sixth commandment. Do not, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus said, if you look at a brother or sister and you have anger or indifference toward them, you have already killed them in your heart. And so, so he's moving the bullseye, he's changing the goalposts, he's changing what a win looks like. It's not just external behavior, it's something else, something that's going on in your heart. Because, of course, you shouldn't murder someone, right? Of course, you shouldn't kill someone, but really what he's looking for is not just obeying that. He's looking for reconciled human relationships. And then last week, Nick talked about the second one. Uh, The the Pharisees said, "If, If I just don't have sex with someone other than my spouse, then I have fulfilled the requirements of the seventh commandment, which says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you look at a person with lustful intention, you have already committed adultery with them in your heart. Because again, the point isn't just not committing adultery. It's not just the external action. Of course you shouldn't do that. It's about flourishing relationships in your marriages, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers. Jesus is trying to give us this law of love that resides in our hearts, that we work out into our lives. And here's really the point of the Sermon on the Mount. You can't do it by yourself. You can't obey these things on your own. He has to give you a new heart so that you can work out what he has worked inside of you. And today we've come to this third antithesis, this third example of ways the Pharisees are are misusing the law. And and Jesus is talking about divorce. And I don't need to tell you, this this is a tough topic. I'm not the guy who sat at home last night thinking boy, I can't wait to teach on divorce to all these people. This is going to be great. I am not a sadist, right? And so this is one of those things that when I, say, when I even say this word, when I use the D word, there's immediately a response that you have. And for some of you, you, you kind of perk up and you think, well, you know what? I'm really curious what this guy has to say about this. This is this will be a fascinating theological exercise here this morning. And it's 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 a it's it's you thinking through the 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 nuance of, of the theology of the and, and there's a place for that that's not a bad thing. But for others of you when you hear that word a tremendous amount of pain and sorrow and and old emotions begin to rise up inside of you and you think gosh, I came on this Sunday and, and this is a very sensitive, tender issue for many people. Many of you have had parents or grandparents go through a, a divorce. Many of you have close friends who have gone through divorce. Many of you have experienced this or are going through this right now. And I just want to tell you that we do not approach this subject flippantly or judgmentally. This is not something that we're, 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 we're coming to you and, and just saying, hey, let's just let's, this is real fun. But this is the reason we teach expositionally through books of the Bible, because we can't ignore the hard stuff, because Jesus has something to say about divorce. And I want to say this some Christians have done a very poor job communicating the heart of God towards those who've experienced really hard things, including divorce. Some people view divorce as the unforgivable sin, and it's not. It's not. And so this morning, we come to you in an attempt to try to live in this tension, trying to understand what does the grace of God look like in our lives when, we, when we've experienced something that we've never really planned? And what does the grace of God look like for us as he warns us to, to, before we head down a road that we can't take back? That is, that is where we're going, and so I can't possibly give you in 30 minutes an in-depth theology of the, of the sanctity of marriage and uh, the legitimate causes for divorce in the Bible and all of these things and, and do everything that we need to do this morning, so I ask for you to extend some grace to me here, and certainly I may say something that offends you or I will definitely say something that you disagree with this morning, I, I bet, and if that's the case, I want to offer myself to you after the service. Come and talk to me. We can sit down. We can plan a coffee meet. Whatever we need to do, however I can help you if, if, if something like that happens. And so here is our outline this morning. Here's our framework that we're working in. Three questions we're asking concerning this topic. Number one, what does God think about divorce? Number two, is divorce ever okay? And number three, what about, what about remarriage? What about remarriage after a divorce? We're going to spend a long time on the first one, a little less time on the second one, and not a lot of time on the third one, because at the end, I've invited a few people to come up here and share their stories about this thing that they've experienced in their lives, because this is not just about a topic. This is about people, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 19. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, but verses 31 and 32 are the only passages that we have in the Sermon on the Mount about this topic. And and a a biblical principle here that we're going to apply is we we want to interpret the, the shorter passage here in Matthew by the longer one in Matthew 19, where he really expounds on his teaching on divorce. And so open up to Matthew 19. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. This is our passage for today. Let me read it for you. It says this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way in the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. This is God's word. Amen? And so first question for us this morning is this. What does God... Think about divorce. This passage is another example of, of, of the, what the Pharisees typically tried to do in the New Testament is they would go to Jesus and ask him a question in an attempt to trap him. They're trying to get Jesus to say something that's going to get him in trouble with, with all the wrong people. And in this case, in Matthew 14, we see that Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, was arrested and eventually beheaded because he was criticizing the marriage of Herod and Herodias. Herodias was the wife of Herod's brother, Philip. So Herod's brother, Philip's wife. And they had an affair. Herodias left Philip for Herod, and they got together. And John the Baptist is saying, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. So they arrest him and eventually kill him and the pharisees know if, if if they have a sneaky suspicion that jesus is going to have a similar theology to john the baptist in these ways so they're trying to ask him this question to trip him up and so they say hey hey what's your view on on marriage and divorce here. Is it lawful for a man to to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And what they're articulating here is this first century debate between two rabbinical schools of thought concerning the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. It's a mouthful. Deuteronomy 24 is, is the primary Old Testament passage concerning divorce in the Bible, and there are really two, two schools of thought concerning the interpretation of this passage. Let me read the passage for you first. It says this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of Divorce, And it goes on to tell, to tell what to do if, if this ends up happening. And, and I don't have time to really go into this, but, but the, the, this, this law regulating divorce was God's attempt to actually create justice for women in that culture. Oftentimes what would happen is a man would marry a woman. He would take her dowry, the bridal price, and, and he would take it from her. And then he would just send her away, effectively stealing money from her. And so, this is God's attempt at legislating injustice against women in a highly, highly, highly patriarchal culture. And so, the, the main debate concerning this passage is over that phrase, something indecent. It's, something indecent is this Hebrew phrase, er wat debar which means a matter of nakedness or some matter of shame, some shameful thing. And this is the crux of the debate here. And there are really two schools of thought concerning this phrase. There was the more conservative position, which was the school of Shammai. And the school of Shammai said, or what Debar means marital unfaithfulness. It means sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage. So a legitimate cause for divorce would be unfaithfulness sexually in a marriage relationship. That's the more conservative Shammai view. There was also the, the Hillel view, which was the more liberal school, and they interpreted Urwat Dabar as meaning anything. Any, any good reason that you could Come up with. In fact, one Hebrew writing said that this meant was a divorce was allowed for things as trivial as burning her husband's food. If you burned his toast, you could get a divorce. A later writing said if he, if he found someone that he was more attracted to, just just in the marriage, it's, that's not a big deal. Ironically, most of the Jewish culture during Jesus's time and even the Pharisees themselves sided with this school of Hillel, this more liberal school. Hey, any and every reason. And so they come to Jesus, and they ask this question, which which school of thought about divorce are you in agreement with, Jesus? Are you on Team Shammai or Team Hillel? And I love Jesus' response. And I think that Jesus' response here is a key to, to our first question, what does God think about divorce? Here is what Jesus said. He says this, haven't you read? By the way, what an insult to a group of guys who spend their lives studying the Bible, Right? Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, what's happening here is the Pharisees are preoccupied with grounds for divorce. They want to talk about divorce. They're focusing on divorce. And Jesus is preoccupied with marriage. Jesus wants to talk about marriage. Jesus is more concerned validating the institution of marriage than he is addressing their questions about divorce. And so what he does is is he points them back to the beginning. Let's look at creation. Let's look at God's original intention for human flourishing. And there we see that God's intention was that marriage would be a lifelong covenant that unites two people together, taking two and fusing them to make them one. This happens in, in the sexual union that takes place in a marriage, but it also happens in this emotional, spiritual place where people mutually submit and commit to one another in this thing called... Marriage. The, the, the word here, uh, united, is this, this word cleave. The King James Version translates it cleave. And so it says, A husband will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they will become one flesh. The, the, the sense you should get here is two things being taken and glued together, fastened together, two things becoming one thing. And this is covenant language, covenant communication that God is giving us. And the point that Jesus is making is that there are there are really two kinds of relationships. There are really two visions or views of marriage that we can have in the world. There's there's this consumer view, the the, the view that marriage is a consumer relationship, or there's this view that marriage is a covenant relationship. And a consumer relationship is is it's not. Fundamentally, a bad thing, a consumer relationship is where you have a need, and you're looking for someone or something to meet that need, and you will use or go or purchase that thing from those people until they can no longer meet that need for you. I have a consumer relationship with my internet service provider. And they're doing a really bad job right now. And so my internet keeps going out. And so at some point, I might change my internet service provider and have a new relationship with a new company that promises better speeds, right? And so I have a consumer relationship with the grocery store by my house. The Walmart neighborhood market, it's right on the way home. It's very convenient. Their prices are pretty good. But the moment that they cease to be convenient or the moment that their prices go up or the moment that for the love we find a grocery retailer that will deliver groceries on same-day delivery stuff, like I will, I will abandon you, neighborhood Walmart. <laughs> we have Walmart people in this room. You can make this happen. I know you can, Okay? I know you can. So, a consumer relationship is not fundamentally a bad thing. It just is not the thing that marriage was designed to be. Marriage was designed to be a covenant. And a covenant relationship is different. It's an agreement where two people, two parties, lay down their needs. They lay down their rights for the sake of the other person. It is not a me-centered relationship. It is a you-centered relationship. It's not based on one party's ability to perform. It is based on a sacrificial covenantal commitment. And this is not unlike the relationship that most parents have with their children. Very rarely... Do parents have a consumer relationship with their children? If they did, then I would tell my oldest son, Caleb, I really love you, except, I don't know, the, 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 the Mackenzie's kids are pretty cute, and, and uh, you have been misbehaving lately, and so get out of here. And so that's not how we treat our children. We don't treat our children that way because our relationship with our kids is not a consumer relationship. It's a covenantal relationship based on, not on their performance, but on sacrificial commitment we make to them. The sad thing is oftentimes we treat our kids better than our spouses. And this covenantal, sacrificial relationship with our spouse is the canopy, the underpinning, that really supports our relationship with our kids. And so the question is, what does Jesus... Think about divorce. And Jesus' answer is, I'm more interested in talking about marriage. I'm more interested in validating the institution of marriage than I am talking about reasons for divorce. God's plan and purpose and preference is always reconciled, redeemed human relationships that take place in in, in marriage where people humble themselves because it's hard and they're, they're reconciled in the process. But that doesn't always... Happen, right? And so Jesus does seem to give us some scenarios where divorce may be permitted but not required. That's a key phrase. Divorce may be permitted but not required. Matthew 19, 7 through 9. When why then, the Pharisees asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way in the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so, is divorce okay? Jesus seems to be going into this space where he starts talking about a permission to divorce, but not a command. And there is a difference between a command and a permission. Jesus is saying, Moses did not command this. This is a concession that the law made because human hearts are hard. And we know this, right? Our hearts can become hard when we get hurt over and over and over again. And why should I, why should I reach out to that other person when they just keep hurting me? And Moses knew that, that the hardness of human hearts would lead to irreconcilable human relationships. And so God said, hey, I'm permitting this, but this is not something that I prefer. This is not my, my gold standard plan for you. And so he goes on to say that, that there are scenarios where because hearts get so hard, it effectively kills the marriage covenant. It kills the relationship. And the first example he gives us here is sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. And porneia can be defined as any Illicit sexual activity that takes place outside of the covenantal union between a husband and a wife. This includes anything from incest to bestiality, fornication. I think in this context, it primarily refers to adultery and what Jesus seems to be saying. And there's, guys, there's debate about all of this. I'm going to be real honest with you. There are lots of well meaning Christians that fall within orthodoxy that disagree about some of this stuff. And this is in my deep dive study, this is the view that I, I really. Uh, It really came down on here, and so we can talk more about it if you're interested later. But he seems to be saying that the marriage covenant is so sacred that when someone unites themselves sexually to another person, it has a way of ripping that one flesh covenant apart. It has a way of tearing something so deep down in a person that, that it creates a scenario where it poisons the well and eventually leads to death. It doesn't have to lead to death. There is an antidote. There's healing that can come, but boy, it's hard. And so in the same way that Romans 7 tells us the death of a spouse effectively ends the marriage covenant, the, the, this porneia is a way that, that a marriage covenant is effectively killed, murdered. It, it, it dies because of this sexual immorality. And so is divorce ever okay? Jesus seems to be saying yes when there's porneia. When there's pornea, when there's, when there's this pornea that takes place. Are there other exceptions? Look with me at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 13 and 14. It says this, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What's he saying? He's saying that... Even in a situation where you come to faith in Christ, you attend church, you start plugging into this Jesus thing and he's really changing your life, but your spouse stays behind, they're not interested, they don't come to faith. Even in that scenario where you become unequally yoked, Paul says, stay married, stay married. Why? Because your life may be the thing that sanctifies or... Or makes holy the life of your spouse. It may be the very thing that God uses to bring your spouse to faith. And certainly it may be the thing that God uses to allow your kids to come up in the faith. So he says, stay married if that's the case. But then he goes on to say that there may be a scenario where the unbelieving spouse is the one who leaves. They say, I can't take it anymore. I'm done with this. And so the marriage is over. Paul says this in verse 15. He says, If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. You have been called to peace. And that word enslaved means bound or under obligation. And what he seems to be saying is that there's a scenario in which the unbelieving spouse rejects the marriage covenant. They leave the marriage covenant behind, effectively killing the covenant, and that ends the marriage. Paul says you are no longer bound, you are free, you are no, no longer under obligation. And so is divorce ever okay? He seems to be saying yes when there's abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And, and what I just articulated for you is the, the typical Protestant view since the Reformation. Okay? And you may be thinking, well, what about some of those really hard scenarios that, that you haven't talked about yet? I mean, what if there isn't technically any adultery or pornea or illicit sexual activity? Or, or what if there, there is no abandonment? But what if there is some abuse? There's a, a case of abuse or some illegal activity that takes place that puts you or your kids in danger. What do you do? And I want you to feel that for a minute. Because as our leadership team and our elders meet and talk and pray, these are the kind of questions that we have to deal with. Because we live in a sin-stained, broken, nasty, fallen world. And it's not always sunshine and glitter and kittens and everything's happy. So what do you do in this case? And here's the issue. There is no clear New Testament concession that lays out abuse or legal activity. There's no clear directive like we see in the other two things that we just mentioned. There's no Bible verse that we can point to and say, here's the thing that that we're doing here. So what do you do? You feel that? Whew, that's tough. Here's the first thing that I, I would say you should do. If you are in a situation where you or your children are being abused or are unsafe, first thing, get out. Get away from the relationship. Pull back for a period of time. I'm not saying in the relationship right now, but you should never put you or your kids in a situation where you may be harmed. I think sometimes Christians have gone so far the other way, trying to preserve the the sanctity of marriage, and it's a thing we should preserve, that they they, they cause people to stay in potentially harmful situations. And what I'm saying is, get out of that situation for a season. And the other thing I'm going to share with you, I'm going to share very cautiously, because in our culture, we certainly don't need more excuses to get divorced, do we? We have plenty of excuses to get divorced. We actually need more excuses to stay married. We need a proper view of the holiness of God. We need a proper view of how God created us in our relationships. However, some scholars seem to think that the... the Heart of what Paul and Jesus are teaching in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7 may allow, and there's debate here, may allow for a divorce when a spouse has effectively killed the covenant by getting to a place where it's impossible to live with them because of what they have done and continue to do. You hear what I'm saying? What I'm not saying is, "Ah, you know, I'm just kind of bored in our relationship and I'm kind of tired of the way you treat me, and I've really found someone I'm compatible with, someone I really connect with, someone I haven't felt like that in a long time. That's not what he's saying. That's not what they're saying. They're saying in extreme covenant killing persistent action where someone refuses to repent and change. There, there may be a scenario in which if they, if after a period of time they, they refuse to repent and change their actions then, then it may be like 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, they've effectively abandoned the marriage in that sense, ending it. These are the complicated questions we have to deal with sometimes as pastors and elders and Christians trying to live in this tension of the truth of God and the grace of God lived out in our, our day-to-day lives, right? Because as many people as there are in this room, there are that many different possible scenarios, so we're just trying to take the principles of God's word and apply them here. And again, there, there's, there's some debate, debate here. And so I say what I just said cautiously. And if this is something that you feel like you need to do, what I would tell you is that this is something that needs to be discerned in spiritual community, in counsel with Christian counselors or with the pastors and elders of whatever church that you have covenantally committed to. and you you take your time, and there may need to be a period of separation, even significant separation that gives that spouse the space to repent and change. Because God knows that sometimes when you you give someone the space, he, he changes hearts, doesn't he? That's what he does. He rewires and rewrites our hearts. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And so, this is one of those sticky scenarios. So the question again is, is divorce ever okay? And the answer is yes, under certain circumstances where the covenant is effectively killed through porneia or through abandonment and maybe even this abuse, persistent illegal activity thing. But the main point again is Jesus, it seems to be more concerned about talking about marriage. Jesus wants to validate marriage and not just talk about all the reasons for divorce. Tim Keller says that divorce should be viewed as something as radical as amputating an arm. And we don't amputate our arms when, whenever we have an ugly mole on it. There's an ugly little mole on my arm. You don't cut your arm off or something like that. You don't cut your leg off if you have like a little nick or a little scab on your leg. Amputation is only something that happens when the limb is dead. It's lifeless. It can't be resuscitated. And so this is something that we need to take very, very seriously, something that we only view as a final option. Okay, last question. What about remarriage after divorce? Again, very hotly debated item, issue among scholars. And I don't have time to get into all of the nuance in in the various arguments. I'll I'll share a book with you here in a minute that you can read some of the arguments because the the framework we're working in here is how do I remain faithful to Jesus in light of this? People who who don't want to be faithful to Jesus don't even wrestle with questions like these. But we as followers of Christ, we have to ask these questions. What does this look like for me? How do I do this? How do I live in this? And this is a hotly debated issue and I don't have time to get into all the nuance And, and, and so I'm going to share my view with you And I'll confess this. My view even changed a little bit as I did this deep dive study preparing for this talk. So here's my view. My view is that when a marriage has ended due to a legitimate exception, remarriage is biblically permissible. When a marriage is ended due to a legitimate exception, remarriage is permissible. The Greek grammar in, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 19, this passage that we're in, seems to lean in that direction, as well as that phrase, is not enslaved, from 1 Corinthians 7.15. Seems to be indicating that there is a freedom, there's no longer an obligation there to be married to that person, and there's a freedom to be remarried. And also, all scholars on every side of the divorce and remarriage debate agree that it was a given in the first century Jews that remarriage was a valid option after a divorce. To be granted a legal separation meant de facto that you were no longer bound to anyone and thus free to remarry. No one in Jesus' audience was thinking, can someone who has a legitimate divorce be remarried? However, the, the opposite is also true. Where a divorce is was not permissible any subsequent remarriage to someone other than the original spouse results in adultery. You feel the tension that we have to live with trying to follow Jesus in some of these really hard things. And so as we think through this, we have to have to pray and ask God for his spirit and his discernment. We have to read the scriptures faithfully in community, trying to figure out what faithfulness looks like. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, To the married, I give you this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. And so Paul is quoting Jesus' teaching here in Matthew. And what he seems to be saying is that if your marriage ended, if you ended your marriage because of some sin and it was an illegitimate divorce, then you should remain single and seek reconciliation and repentance. Okay. So we've been talking about the validity of marriage. God's, his, his, his affirmation of this lifelong covenant. We've been talking about possible grounds for divorce. I want to get really practical here at the end. I want to talk about hope and healing. Hope and healing. And I've invited uh, a few people to come up on stage. Rhett and Drake and Hannah, why don't you go ahead and come on up front. Drake and Hannah are young married people in our church, and they have already in their just couple of years of marriage experienced some really painful, hard realities in their marriage. And I think their story is one of hope because Jesus has done some really beautiful things in them. And Rhett, Rhett is my friend here who has lived through what nobody ever wants to live through, what nobody ever planned to live through. He He's already experienced a divorce. And I think his story is a story of hope, that comes on the, on, on the back side, or healing that comes on the backside of really terrible things that happen. So let me grab this mic, and I'm going to start with you, Drake and Hannah. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit of your story?
1: Yes, so Hannah and I, uh, the year 2016 was a really big year for us. Uh, a lot of changes happened. So we met uh, at the University of Central Arkansas, Go Bears, um, in Conway, Arkansas um and so 2016 um in may or in april i graduated college in may we got married and then in august we moved up here and so that's a lot um yeah no more. big deal just yeah. three
0: of the biggest transitions you can have in your life in the in a three-month period of time exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't really know yeah.
1: what i was thinking of that that, year. <laughs> that was really bad um anyway so a lot happened, and that the move up here is when a lot of tension and struggle started to happen between hannah and myself, um, and, and our marriage, and so it was, it was a really big struggle, and, and Hannah will talk about that, but um, we've been married, so for less than two years, met in college, and then moved up here, and, um, and then I'll just pass on to Hannah, and she can kind of talk about the tension, and, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit, Hannah, about, about y- you, you get married, you leave Central Arkansas. Were you guys on the same page about that move, by the way? Was that was there unity there? Yeah, or? I
2: think the tension started um, when we were making the decision to move up here because we had planned to stay in Conway, um, and this was a sudden, a sudden opportunity and a sudden move, and we we were not on the same page and we did not agree agree on this decision, um, and so we'd only been married for about two months at this point, and we didn't really know how to come to a conclusion and, and an agreement on on the decision. Um, so we did end up moving here um, pretty quickly, and I wouldn't say that our marriage was really in trouble until um, several months later when we had just kind of continued to ignore the issues and ignore the tension and kind of put it off, and um, we had become really distant from each other and focusing really on ourselves instead of each other.
0: Yeah, Drake, tell us a little bit more. When, when, when that tension came up, what happened? What, what did you do?
1: Um, yeah, so when the, the tension came up, um, you know, you just, you feel like your your marriage is exploding and you don't really know what to do, and so I, I reached out to Josh, and I talked to him a little bit, um, and then he he passed me on to Tim um, Ferguson, and I met up with Tim, and Tim, um, him and Amy were about to start the first Young marrieds class here in Bentonville at New Heights, and he said... Um, I really think a lot of this will change if we get you and Hannah around community. Um, we were alone; we didn't know anyone for a long time. So we're the person you're supposed to be supposed to have on your side. We're both basically on on, on opposite sides fighting, and so we literally didn't have anyone, um, didn't know anyone. And so um, that's what I did: is reached out to Tim. We went into a, a young marriage class, and that really um, started a change once we entered that class. Um, they taught about marriage, what it looks like to have a godly marriage, and even just having friends and community really started to change. And then I also personally went to um, the Joshua Center up here in Rogers uh, to really just kind of examine myself and, and what can I be doing to to help um, with this situation.
0: Hannah, w- with some of those things, so you were alone. You had gone through these major transitions. You're fighting each other. Everyone's kind of been there, right, where, where you end up re- bouncing off each other like magnets with the same pole. And so, so when you started getting into community, connecting to this young marrieds group, what what changes did you see in Drake and in your marriage? Maybe even in yourself?
2: Yeah, um, Drake took a really big step, um, to move past being you know selfish and being centered around making making ourselves happy, and he started um, loving me and serving me. Even though I'm sure that was probably the hardest thing to do to somebody that. Um, that you were so distant from, um, but, but he did. He started loving me and serving me. And in turn, I was very receptive to that and um, was able to love him. And that, that kind of started leading towards our healing in our marriage.
0: Yeah, sometimes one of the hardest things to do when you're in that, that pain is to reach across the table to the person who's hurt you And very often we need community around us to help us know how to do that, to help us navigate that. It sounds like that's what you guys were experiencing, Drake. Kind of last thing here, if you or Hannah too, if, if you guys could share one thing to any other couple, maybe it's even another young married couple in our church who's struggling in their marriage. What would you What would you share?
2: Um, definitely find community, so um, the Young Marriage class was a huge blessing for us to um, find people who were kind of in the same stage of life as us, and also uh, Tim and Amy were great mentors to us, and they, they were very vulnerable, you know, with their own marriage and their personal lives and really opened up to us and kind of um, gave us, shared wisdom with us and mentored us through, through the process, and um, I would also say um just forgiveness being able to forgive each other and to take that step to reach out to the other person even though that's pretty much the last thing you want to do that's
1: really good Drake. yeah i'd say um for definitely everything hannah said but also um good answer bro yeah i'm learning i'm a slow learner (laughs) (laughs) amen to what she said now um you got to get over yourself it's not about you um so you got to be willing to lay down your life and and I treat Hannah the way that she deserves to be treated when I'm closest to Jesus. And so um, that's when everything's going well, when I'm laying my life down for Hannah, and when I'm really close to Jesus, and I'm not letting other stuff get in the way. There's a, g- a great correlation. Um, when things start getting a little rocky in our marriage, it's probably, I look back and it's like, man, I'm not as close to Jesus as I need to be. And so um, I'm the man I want to be when I'm letting Jesus move through me.
0: Good stuff. Let's let's transition to you, Rhett. Rhett, tell us a little bit about who you are. Where are you from? What's what's your story?
3: Yeah. So um, I'm originally I'm not from Arkansas. I'm originally from uh, Washington State, uh, up by Seattle, Washington, and uh, I grew up um, with just a, just a beautiful uh, church, very similar to this church, small, uh, valued community, uh, and so that was that was awesome. Um, and then my, my, my family, my, my parents uh, loved the Lord, and they, uh, man, they, they taught me through their actions and through their lives what it was like to love the Lord and to have a relationship. And so um, I, I value them, and, and, and that, was, that was definitely a huge part. Um, so just like how I got to Northwest Arkansas, and uh, in 2006, I went to this little Bible school in Colorado called uh, Timberline Lodge and a uh, great little bible school for like your first year like out of high school and you don't really know what to do with your life and you just need a year to kind of snowboard and figure out what's going on so <laughs> don't we all uh, need that yeah so uh a- anyways um i met um some phenomenal people there and just people that really just kind of shaped me and t- brought me closer to the lord and uh and one of those people um um Uh, A young lady um, by the name of Samantha she uh, her and I started dating and she was from Bentonville uh, this area and so um, yeah so we we fell in love and we started dating and and it was great Samantha um, was a very new believer she didn't uh, she just accepted the Lord the the following or the the previous year and so she was very young and very new in her faith and so so uh fast forward a little bit we 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 get done with bible school and we um um, i don't don't have anything going on in my life and so i'm coming i'll say i'll I'll come down to northwest arkansas and we'll uh we'll date and continue and so i move back i move here and uh and we continue dating and and then just fast forward a little bit we get engaged and um move back to washington state where i'm from and uh, we get married up there and uh, and that's, you know, the the honeymoons, you know, phase and everything's great. And so we we also make a big move and we uh, we, we move back to northwest Arkansas and uh, attend the University of Arkansas and uh, and try to get plugged in. Um, didn't do a great job of getting plugged in, but we uh, we made uh, an effort. Um, and then um, where things kind of started getting uh, tough, um, like like it always does in marriage, um, Uh, growing up as a kid, I struggled with pornography. Um, it was always around me and it was something that, um, I was introduced in like middle school and it was always there. It was something that like, it kind of followed me. It felt like it was just chasing me around. And so, um, so when the marriage got tough, I turned to that. And, um, not only did I turn to pornography, but I also turned to, uh, alcohol. And I started drinking, and I started just finding hope in that. And it was very foolish, and it was something that didn't bring me any hope. It was uh, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, and so, just fast forward a few more years, um, marriage gets tougher and tougher, and fights start happening, and and struggles start happening. And Samantha uh, started not walking with the Lord, and I was obviously not doing a great job either and so um uh in 2015 um she she told me she didn't love me anymore and she uh she said she wanted a divorce wow
0: during, during that that uh season red and when, when when you heard that how did that land and then how did your faith in jesus inform the way you responded from that point?
3: yeah um i mean i I remember the day just like it was yesterday. Um, we had gotten in a fight, uh, pretty typical, and uh, and she left and, and uh, stayed at her parents' house that night. And um, and so I my I, you know I'm feeling bummed out, and I'm like, all oh, right, you did it again, like you screwed up. And so um, you know I'm I'm kind of waiting for her to come back, and, and she doesn't come back. And then that afternoon, she uh, she called me and told me that she wanted to divorce me. And, uh, and it just, it, it just, it knocked me off my feet. It was something that, you know, I wasn't expecting. Um, I, I never thought that I would get into, uh, you know, that just something I, I never thought would happen to me. And I thought, you know, um, I'll, I'll tough it out. You know, I can figure this out on myself. Like, um, I can make it work. And of course I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm not righteous. And so wh- how can I bring righteousness? So, um, So yeah so that's when that's when i just felt a failure i I was a failure and so that's um but uh that is when god stepped in uh and took control and i um um the body of christ is so awesome and i i um i I just started coming to new heights we were meeting in another building uh old high middle school uh in downtown and Um, she, sorry, um, we, I needed community and I didn't have that. And so I filled out the communication card, uh, just like we pass it around and do it all the time. And, and, uh, a a guy by the name of Mark Hale, uh, called me up and Mark said, Hey Rhett, uh, I see that you're interested in joining a community group also like i'm looking at your address and i see it's really close to where we're living like three houses down (laughs) we would love to make you cookies uh kathleen uh, made cookies and her and uh, mark came down and i i saw them come out of their house and (laughs) walk down the street to my house and uh it was it was awesome it was awesome and um you know, being in this body, we, we talk a lot about the Joshua Center and, and Drake said that and I, and I knew I needed to go, I, need, I needed counseling, I needed that. And so I, I started going to the Joshua Center and that was phenomenal. And then, uh, but the, the most important part uh, I felt was the, the community aspect and getting plugged into a community group. And I was living in Centerton at the time and this guy that I worked with, Andrew uh, Eaton, who him and his wife just started coming to, to our church. Uh, he was like, man, I got this four bedroom house and I'm living it all by myself. He was like, come live with me. And it was just, just a game changer. And like the, the, the Centerton community group and the, there's just phenomenal people uh, in this body that just loved on me. Um, the Clonagers, the starches, the Harriman's, uh, the Jostads, the Hollies, just people that just wow. came around me and just loved on me. Um, you know, when I needed. When I needed a friend, when I needed Mm. Jesus, they were there.
0: Wow. Wow. Red, if you could say one thing to people in this room who have experienced what you've experienced, what would you say to them?
3: We can't do it on our own. We have to give it to the Lord. And um, I thought I could do it. I thought I could make it work, and I couldn't do it. And I need to trust in Jesus more and more. And so I would tell anyone here, just, it's a really hard thing to do. But you got to trust in the Lord. And my dad, uh, my dad had gone through a very similar situation. Um, and he had said, and I had called him the day of the divorce. And, and, and he said, Rhett, you can choose to go down two paths right now. You can choose to follow the Lord. Or you can just do whatever you want when whatever feels right. And he said, Rhett, I chose to follow the Lord, and that's when I met your mother. And that's when God took control and took care of me. And so I haven't been perfect, but I'm I'm choosing to follow the Lord. So I would encourage anyone else.
0: Amen. Everybody give them a round of applause. Thanks, guys. It takes an unbelievable amount of guts to do what they just did. And the only way people can share that kind of deep pain in front of a group of people is when they realize this is not the stuff that defines me. I'm defined by someone else and what he did. And that person's name is Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're in that marriage that is just painful and you're struggling and you've hit that point where you're those two polar magnets that are just driving each other away and you need hope, there is hope in the person of Jesus. He can take hard hearts and the beautiful thing that he does. This is what the sermon on the mount's about. He gives us a new heart. He puts a new spirit in us. And if you're here this morning and you have lived through the pain of divorce and the amputation that comes on the other side of that, then I would just say this to you, the, the divorce is not the unforgivable sin that the audacity of God himself in Jeremiah 3 to identify himself as a divorced person. He says, I look at you, unfaithful Israel, and I'm writing you a certificate of divorce because of your persistent unfaithfulness. And so if you are a divorced person, you're in good company. God identifies with you. And not only that, one of the most sordid, terrible relationships from the deepest pain that we read in all of scripture, David and Bathsheba, David kills One of his best friends takes his wife. And from that relationship, there's this baby named Solomon that's born. And from Solomon, we have this person named Jesus who's eventually born. And so God can take even terrible, broken things and redeem them and restore them for his purposes. Would you let him do that today? Let me pray. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what Jesus does for us. And Lord, as we try to navigate this world where where we're just trying to follow you, it's so hard. It's so hard, God. We need you in the midst of the pain. We want to be faithful to you, God. So help us to follow you, Lord. And to do that, we need not hard hearts, Lord. We need new hearts. So would you give us that here today? If there are people in this room experiencing pain in their marriages, Would you bring healing by the blood of Jesus? And if there are people here who need healing on the backside of of a scenario that they never thought would happen, would you bring healing in the name of Jesus? We're defined by what he did, not by what we have done. That is the gospel. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray, amen.